We're in the, a series called The Pursuit, and if you've been with us for the last four weeks, you're aware of that. Um, this is a series that is really a discipleship, um, mentoring type of opportunity for you um, to get with a neighbor, a friend, and just walk through these 12 kind of sessions of pursue to help that individual pursue God. So maybe you've been around for a while, so I challenge you to use this series as an opportunity to take some of this information and sit down um, with an individual and go through it with them. And if you're new, this is a great opportunity to look at some of the foundational truths of the Christian faith. And so, so far in this series, we've seen that God is the one that is pursuing us, that the Bible is the most reliable source for truth, that we were created in the image of God, and because of that, we have value. And last week, we learned that these things are true, but there's also another truth, and that is we have a human condition that's called sin. We were born into sin, and we're separated from God. So how do we fix that? Well, a lot of people have a lot of different answers to that, and some people today in our culture reject the concept of sin altogether. I mean, when I was growing up, I think most people felt that that is a, a, a true thing, but today, in today's society, there are individuals that totally reject the whole concept of sin. But it's interesting because it doesn't seem to stop them from feeling like they have to do something to fix themselves, something to find peace with God, to reach perfection, to be whole, to be completely free. And some people believe that this can be accomplished through reincarnation. You are reincarnated to experience the ripened fruits of prior karma until you find perfect freedom that already exists in you, you just don't know it's there yet. And you have to reach this perfection before you are one with the source. There are others that believe that you have to go to purgatory to reach this perfection after death. It's kind of a time of cleansing. And their penance and indulgences can, be, can reduce or prevent you from having to be there long or for those that have already died. And then there's others that believe that in order to be perfect, you have to become your own god. And you can reach this through getting to the highest heaven, and you do that by living up to all the required ordinances and covenants in this life or in the post-mortal spirit world where you can accept ordinances performed on your behalf by other members and become your own god and create your own world. Still others believe that the path to perfection is to become enlightened and be perfect through 
understanding wisdom, and you reach this through meditation and through various mantras. Our culture is full of ideas of how to fix this problem that we can't deny we have. And it was no different in the Roman culture, in the Roman Empire in the first century. Their culture was crammed full of deities. Greek mythology had gained wide acceptance during that time. Divination was widely practiced. And the mystery religions from the East promised to the ability to approach gods through mystic rituals. And then Romans added the Jews as subjects, so they also had this monotheistic belief also in their culture. Well, in the midst of all of this, there is a man named Cornelius who was a Roman, native Roman or Italian, who was a guard of considerable rank that was stationed in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was a city that was built by Herod around 20 BC to act as a gateway to Palestine and Rome's Jewish subjects. It was about 65 miles north of Jerusalem on the coast, and it's where the Roman administrators in that territory lived, and they were protected by a garrison. Rome knew they had their hands full with the Jews, and so they wanted some leaders that were understanding and sympathetic to the Jews so there wouldn't be additional uprisings. And Cornelius was such a leader. Um, it doesn't appear that he was attached to any of those mystic religions of the time. He was sympathetic to the Jews. Scripture tells us that he gave money or he gave food to the poor of the Jews. He may have given that to others also. He believed in God. The Bible says that he prayed regularly how much contact he actually had with the Jews of the time, at that time, we're not sure, but definitely he knew what was going on with them. And I'm sure he was seeking God. He was seeking truth. He was seeking, as most individuals, how do I find peace with God? How do I find wholeness? Well, the God of the universe didn't keep him questioning for long, using a vision which probably wasn't foreign to the Romans at that time in those mystic religions, but God used a vision, and in that vision, God sent to Cornelius an angel who told him, this man of great reputation and status, that he was supposed to send for a fisherman who was living in a tanner's house down in Joppa. Now, the contrast between the two is beyond belief. Here you have this Roman military professional and a fisherman. Here you have the main garrison of the Romans and then a city that's 
dominated by Jews in Joppa. And God arranged for them to meet. And this fisherman was Peter, who needed his own vision and his own intervention by the Spirit of God to accept this invitation um, from this non-Jew Cornelius. You could imagine that Peter must have been a bit concerned with what just had happened as it related to Roman guards and what they did to Jesus. And now he's being asked to go up to Caesarea to meet with this military man. And this divine appointment was for Cornelius and really for the entire Gentile, Gentile world to hear what God required of them to find peace with God, to find wholeness. And what Peter ends up communicating has nothing to do with karma, ordinances and covenants, penance and indulgences for the living and the dead, nothing to do with finding wisdom through your mind from within, not even anything to do with becoming a Jew. What Peter says next has everything to do with a name. The name that holds the answers to the question of the human condition that we all find ourselves in. Born into sin, separated from God. And this name is Jesus. So Peter's words to the house of Cornelius are found in Acts chapter 10, verses 33, 34 through 43. So if you want to turn there, we'll be spending our time today in this passage. And this passage clearly brings out five main, five main teaching points that they, the house of Cornelius, needed to know, as well as the early church, about this Jesus. And the first thing they needed to know about this Jesus was there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter immediately addresses the answer to the human condition. We were born into sin, we're separated from God. Scripture says that we're at enmity with God. So how do we get to be at peace with God? Well, Peter tells us straight up. It's through Jesus Christ. And this peace that he's talking about is not the peace of the Woodstock. I think of Woodstock and peace, right? <laughs> it's not... It's not really the peace that we're talking about. This is a reconciliation peace. It's a peace that restores our relationship to God. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that, For God was in Christ reconciling the world. Jesus Christ reconciles us to God. Jesus himself says, He is the way the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through him. 
It is through Jesus Christ. Our peace comes through Jesus Christ. Now, Cornelius probably was questioning, well, is there some conditions with this? Do I have to become a Jew? Do I have to be circumcised? What are the requirements? Am I even included in this? And Peter makes this clear by saying, He is Lord of all, both Gentile and Jew. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 10. He says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Regardless of race, nationality, sex, income status, employer, employee, Jesus is Lord of all. How many of you grew up in church? Wow, lots of you did. Well, then you're probably familiar with this song that we sung when we were really little. Um, I sang the same song, and it's Jesus loves all the little children, right? All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the little children. So simple, but so very profound. And how we have messed that up. He is Lord of all. Well, Peter needed to also communicate a couple other things to them. The next thing was that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Cornelius, I'm sure, well, let's read that actually, Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38 says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Cornelius, I'm sure, was familiar with, with this Jesus of Nazareth. There's no doubt he knew who Jesus was. But Peter is making it clear that this Jesus of Nazareth was not just from Nazareth. He was sent by God to be a witness of God himself. And he does this by pointing out the works of Jesus. Who could heal? Who could cast out demons? Who could go about doing good without sinning? Well, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, actually answered that question back in John chapter 3. He said, who, who, We know that you have come from God, for who can do these things that you do unless God is with them? And that's exactly what Peter is saying here at the end of verse 38. For God was with him. This is clearly shown in these following events that are recorded in Scripture. I want to share with you this morning because they're powerful. First one is in Luke 4, 40 through 41, says, As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. 
Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. In Luke 11, 14 through 20, And he was casting out a demon, and the man who was dumb, and it came about that when the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled. And then Jesus later on says, But if I cast out demons by the finger, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Even John the Baptist in Matthew um, has a conversation about this. Now, when John, John the Baptist, was in prison, he heard of the works of Christ. He was sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the coming one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. In other words, you don't need to be looking for anybody else. I'm here. John 14, 7 through 11, so powerful. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. All of these events point to Jesus not only being sent by God, but being the exact representation of God's nature. Cornelius needed to know that this Jesus was not just not from Nazareth. He was sent by God and was God. They also needed to know that they needed to put that they needed him to put, be put to death by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Now, I'm sure Cornelius was very well aware of the fact that Jesus had been crucified. He knew that. I'm not sure what he knew about the resurrection. Um, he probably had heard rumors about it. Maybe he even knew the guards that uh, were at the tomb that took the money and said, you know what, um, we fell asleep and the disciples came and took the body. Maybe he was aware of that cover-up. Uh, we're not sure. But I love the fact that Luke, the physician, um, gives us kind of a record of this death and resurrection. And I love the fact that it's from a physician. Um, so Luke says this, as it relates to Jesus' death. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Jesus died on the cross. Luke goes on, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. 
Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. That fact is pivotal because it proves that Jesus has the power over death. Revelations 1, 18 says, I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death and to Hades. He had authority. If you have the keys, you've been given the authority. When I was a kid, my dad gave me the keys for the first time to the car. I had authority to drive that car. Jesus rose from the grave after three days, proving once and for all that he had power over sin and over death. Cornelius and his household also needed to know that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of all, the living and the dead. Cornelius needed to know that God was holy that he was righteous, that he was just, and that he demanded justice, and that Jesus was appointed and qualified because of his sinless life to carry it out. Judgment will be for all, Jew and Gentile. Romans 2, 9, 16 shares that with us. It says, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. I think, we're, I think we all have our secret life. Everyone's secret life. Paul, if you remember in Athens, when he was at Mars Hill, he was meeting with the philosophers of the day that liked to just listen and talk about new things. So they had invited Paul to talk about this new way. And it's interesting that of all the things that Paul could have talked about, one of the things that he brought up was God's judgment and Jesus judging. So this is what Paul says to the philosophers. He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus will judge. And that culmination of that judgment we find in Revelations. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened and the dead were judged. God has to judge. He can't overlook sin. I know some people have an issue with this. Some people say, well, if God is love, how could he damn a person to hell forever? You know, God is loving, but God is also holy. He can't not be who he is. 
It requires judgment. But the good news is that God is loving. And that's what Peter shares next to Cornelius and his household. And what is so important. And that is everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. Let's look at Acts 10, 43. It says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Peter first communicates that, you know what? This isn't a new idea. This has been around for a long, long period of time. It's not new news. It's been foretold by the prophets hundreds of years before. In fact, Peter, in his second sermon, a little previously when he was talking to the Jews, brought this up, and he said, The things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away. The message to the house of Cornelius was that this was not something new that they just came up with when Christ was crucified. It was God's plan all along. It was the common strand throughout history, even way before the Roman Empire was established. Some 700 years previously, the prophet Isaiah said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was scourged that we may be healed. Shouldn't be any surprise to those listening to Peter. Romans 3, 23 through 25 sums this up. It says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This Jesus fixes the problem of our human condition. And God demonstrates his love for us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is the one through whom everyone can have peace with God. He is the one who was sent by God to be a witness of himself. He is the one who has power over death. He is the one who will judge. He is the one who can forgive our sins. There is no other name, no other name, and that includes yours. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing your friend can do for you that will be sufficient. We're the problem. We can't be the solution. We're not qualified. 
You know, I find it a bit ironic that we never see Cornelius again in Scripture other than here. And most theologians would say that he was the first Gentile that believed in Jesus. And yet he's never again mentioned in this book. But because of the name of Jesus, his name is written in another book, the book of life. And the book of life says that he will receive the water of life. Get this, the water of life without cost. End of Revelations. Without cost. Because of Jesus. He will have eternal life he will have peace with God because of the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for what you have done for us. And Father, we thank you for the name above all names the name that has power, power to heal, power to forgive, power to reconcile. Father, help us to trust in that name, no other name. In Jesus' name, amen.